Hey bosses, we're happy to have the all new FreshBooks as this week's sponsor. Find out more later in the show or check them out at freshbooks.com slash travel. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Achievement Unlocked. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 180 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Today, I'm with Matt how do you say your last name? Bowles? Yep. Bowles from Mavic Investor Group. And this is actually going to be a really special podcast. We're going to break it up into two parts. Uh, but first, welcome, Matt, to the show. Thanks, Johnny. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for having such a good sounding mic. And I'm, I'm happy that I'm going to have you not only on Travel Like a Boss episode 180, where we're going to talk about how you've managed to create this giant real estate you know, business and you run it while traveling you know, really all around the world. But we're also going to have a an episode on Invest Like a Boss, episode 77, where we're going to talk about the actual investing part, because I'm going to be really interested in that as well. Awesome, man. Can't wait. Yeah. So where are you actually from? Well, I've moved around a little bit, even growing up. So that's probably where some of my digital nomad roots come from. I've never lived anywhere longer than seven years. But I will claim, uh, since my last seven years in the US were in Los Angeles, I'll claim LA. Okay. And where are you now currently? Tokyo. Wow. I did not expect that. Yes. My first time here. First time. Never been to Japan. And so Tokyo was really one of the top cities on my list globally. And so I decided to do it. So just booked an Airbnb for a month and here I am. I think out of all the different countries you could have named, I think that would have been my my last guess. And I think that actually might have been fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a very cool place, and uh, it's uh, it's super awesome. So if you haven't been, I would definitely recommend putting it on your list. Yeah, definitely. I've actually thought about putting my name on um, – what's that that really famous sushi place where Hero Dreams of Sushi comes from? Yes. Uh, I forget what the name of it is as well, but uh, I've, I'm familiar with the documentary, and there's definitely a, a long way to get into that place for sure. Yeah, so I thought about just putting my name, name down – you know, whether it's a year and a half or two years later and just saying, oh, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll figure it out in two years. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that would be a good reason for the trip for sure. Okay. Very cool. So you have a, we'll talk about more of the actual investing part on the other podcast uh, after this and invest like a boss, but I'm really curious, like, can you just give us a, a rundown of what that business is? Sure. Uh, we've been running this business on the exact same business model for 10 years. And basically what we do is we help individual real estate investors, regular people, buy rental properties as an investment to own them and to hold them. But we provide a turnkey solution. So you can buy a rental property. You don't need to live in the area where the rental property is located. It's already comes fully renovated. So you don't have to be the rehabber. And it already has a property management company in place, a tenant inside paying rent, and they take care of the property for you and all that. So you don't have to have the headaches of a landlord either. And so, yeah, it's basically a turnkey solution where you can buy and hold performing rental property in the United States, regardless of where in the world you live. Okay. So this definitely sounds like something really cool for you know, digital nomads who now have a bit of cash to invest and, and make some location independent income through real estate. Exactly right. And what it does, the idea is that if you're working as a digital nomad, I, 
whether you're working or you're freelancing or you're running a business, whatever it is to generate income, that's active income. So you're putting in time, you're creating value and, and in return, you're getting income. The idea is then to take that money and buy an income generating asset like real estate that puts passive income into your pocket that you don't have to work for. And so you increasingly convert your active income that you work for into passive income that you don't have to work for. And then your passive income, it covers more and more of your lifestyle expenses as you buy more and more real estate until, and then you have to work less and less to sustain your lifestyle. And, and I think we're all big fans of passive income. And I think most of us have read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he talks about this, especially using real estate as the mechanism. Right. And so what we did is we wanted to build a company that would allow people to do that, but take out most of the legwork, most of the headaches, most of the time consuming stuff. Because a lot of people think, oh, real estate, I have to be there next to the property or I have to renovate it myself or manage the tenants and it's a headache and I don't want to do it. So we wanted to take all of that out of the equation and allow people to get the benefits of owning investment real estate without the headaches of having to do that. I, I like it. And I definitely want to dive in more on the specifics of this in the Vest Like a Boss podcast after this, because I think there's going to be a lot of people listening who either already have some extra cash where they, they want to be able to make some passive income through real estate, but they don't want to manage it. They don't want to be there, you know, unclogging toilets or collecting rent. But I think for this show, I'm really, really curious on how you manage to run this business from places like Tokyo, because there's some people who want to have, you know, a like a real business. Like, this sounds like a real business where, you know, people can go to the house. You know, when, when they buy a house, they they, you know, they can show up there and they can see, like, hey, this is a real property. It's not just a digital product. How do you like? How did you, did you guys start this while you guys were location pending, or did you figure out how to make it online? So the way that we started this, I, I and I'll actually go back to the very beginning. Um, in 2006, I had a you know regular nine to five office job, and what happened at the end of 2006 is completely unexpected to me. I walk into work one day and I get called into a meeting, and they tell me that it's not working out, and we're going to have to let you go. And I basically got fired from my job with no notice and that was it. And so literally that day as I was walking out into the parking lot, I said to myself, what kind of job was it? Were you working like in, in, in a corporate? No, I was actually working in the nonprofit space, um, which is so, so this was a complete sort of career trajectory change for me. So I'll, I'll take it back even further. So in college, I majored in sociology, and then I did a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. And then I worked in the nonprofit space for many years in Washington, D.C., and then I moved out to L.A. and I was doing that. And so, you know, nine to five. Uh, well, it was more than nine to five, but it was an office job and all of that. And so the day that I got let go from that, I said to myself, I'm not going to work for anybody else ever again, whether it's in the nonprofit space, the corporate world or anything else, because, you know, I could get fired again and I could just, you know, I don't want to have other people be supervising me and having control over that, that you know, over me in that way. And so I want to figure out how to start my own business. And so I literally made that decision that day in the parking lot. And what I did is I drew drove to the bookstore that day. So it was Barnes and Noble, right? And I just went to the business section and I sat down and I started reading books on how to start a business. And I went every day to the bookstore and I just sat there reading books. And what happened was in 2007, so this was right around that time, uh, Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, 
was released. And so one day I walk into the bookstore and I'm looking at the new business related books and there's the four hour work week. I pick it up and I start reading it. I bought the book and uh, that book changed the whole entire game for me. And it gave me my vision and it gave me the trajectory and it gave me sort of the founding principles that I wanted to have in my company. And so I decided that the business I was going to I was going to build was going to be to help other people invest in real estate because I knew about that. I had been investing in real estate on the side personally while I was working at my job. And then I had other people that had been coming up to me and they said, Oh, can you show me what you're doing? You know, can you, you know, can you show me how to do that? So I had all these people asking me about it, you know, to begin with. So I said, you know what, I bet I can monetize this and build a business, you know, in this space. And so, uh, Tim's book gave me the vision uh, for the importance of location independence. And so what I did is I went and I got two, I recruited two business partners who were friends of mine, but they had uh, complementary skills to mine that I did not have. And I knew that I needed uh, some other people that had complementary skills to build a successful business. So I literally convinced the two of them to leave their jobs, which they're very successful at, and come start this business venture with me. And so when we started planning and doing the business plan, we basically said as a fundamental principle of our company, we want to be totally location independent from day one. So let's reverse engineer a business plan that will allow us to do that. And that was the beginning. Wow. And I love that. And what's crazy is out of the 180 or so guests we've had on the show so far, I'm willing to bet that 90% of us were inspired by the four hour work week. And we all basically did our different versions of it. I think, I jumped straight into saying, you know what, let's not worry about the money yet. Let's um, just try the location independence part first. And then I had to work my way backwards. And I think the way you did it was probably a lot smarter, at least more financially savvy, where you're like, okay, I don't want to ever work for another company because I don't want my fate you know, in someone else's hands and another business's hands. And let's backwards engineer it. So I really, really like that. Yeah, it was a huge inspiration for me. I mean, it was it was a game changer. I mean, that was where the light bulbs started going off and the vision uh, for what was possible. And then I just tried to adapt it to what I was doing and how could I take those concepts and those principles and integrate them into my business plan. And so my business partners and I, from day one, we basically said we want to build this business but we all want to be totally location independent. So let's reverse engineer a business plan that will allow us to do that. And so from the very founding of our company, I had uh, two business partners and myself, and the three of us never lived in the same city ever, even from the first day of our company. So we kind of forced a virtual infrastructure as we built the business. That is such a smart move. And you would you would think that so many other people after reading the four hour work week would have that enlightenment, but it almost comes, it seems like we, we all do it the opposite where we, you know, we have an existing business that we just kind of try to patch together and say, okay, well, what parts of this can we make location dependent or which parts of this can we outsource? But that was a very, very smart move on, on your part. But I was kind of lucky. You know what I mean? I mean, it was like I was trying to figure out how to build a business and that book just happened to be published you know, right then. And so I, I really got sort of lucky with the timing, I think. I guess also that book came at the, the the right time where things like even Skype, you know, which we still have some issues with today, you know, really were just becoming popular then. So maybe, you know, if we tried to do this 20 years ago before the internet, it really literally would have been impossible. 
You know, I, I mean, I, I think from a business perspective, but also from a lifestyle perspective, Johnny, which obviously you know about as well as I do. I mean, if you go back to that era, that 2007 era, you're talking about pre Uber, pre Airbnb, pre most of this, you know, you know, most of these things that we use today to travel around the world seamlessly, you know, weren't even available at that time. And it was just so different. So now with the advent of all of these services, I mean, the business side of things, obviously, you know, most of the social media platforms were not around, you know, back then that are, or they weren't, uh, you know, nearly as developed anyways. And, um, you know, and then the lifestyle businesses that have come up and have just made world travel and living in different parts of the world so much easier. It's just incredible. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, nowadays, we can just get an Airbnb. I mean, you're living in one in Tokyo for a few months. I'm here on the Canary Islands. And if it wasn't for it, you know, Airbnb, which really hasn't been around for that long, our lives would have been much, much more difficult. We, w- we would have had to stay in, you know, overpriced hotels or, you know, hostels that, you know, weren't very comfortable. There was, or, you know, try to find a local apartment, which would have been a pain in the butt to, to try to secure. I mean, this is I started yeah. I started that way. I mean, I can remember I went to and this wasn't even that long ago. I mean, 2013, you know, I, I went to Buenos Aires for three months and I booked a hotel for the first three nights that I was there and went and got a local real estate broker to take me around to find a short term rental that I could rent for three months. Right. I went to I went and then I lived in Egypt for about nine months in Cairo and again, I, I, you know, first three days there in a hotel, walking around, spending three full days with a real estate broker, trying to find an apartment that I could rent. I mean, this was not that long ago, you know. And so when I think about how I do it now with Airbnb and all this stuff, it's just it's a whole new world. Yeah, definitely. It's so much easier and more convenient. But at the same time, you know, I, I do kind of miss the the forced like the, the the benefits i guess of going to a new place and being forced to just walk around and interact with locals and fi- you know find an apartment the way a local would find it which is literally walking around asking around interacting with uh, a local agent versus nowadays we can just you know literally book a place on our phones right Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, and there's other ways to integrate that, but you're you're right. It's more on you to do that, right? Because it's now easier to kind of skip over some of that stuff. So it's really on you as the traveler to make a conscious decision that you want to have your experience be rooted in meaningful cultural immersion, right? And you want to have meaningful interactions and you want to try to learn some of the local language, right? Even if it's just a little bit, you want to that and you know you that has to be on you as the traveler now to do because you're right it it is possible to skip over a lot of that and just be a you know a very removed tourist yeah and i think there's definitely pros and cons to to both but as far as a productivity standpoint us not wasting three days every time we move somewhere to find an apartment and an internet connection is much better for running a business online or virtually yeah and services like you know the car the does not. I mean, there are a lot of countries, which you surely know, where the cab drivers do not speak any English at all. I mean, zero, right? And when that's combined with, let's say, a country where the script 
is not a script that you can read, right? <laughs> because it's not, uh, it doesn't have the same types of letters. Then all of a sudden, things get more complicated in terms of trying to get around, right? So when you have a ride sharing services, you know, where you have an app on your phone and you can just put in the destination that you're going and someone can pick you up and drop you off exactly where you need to go and you don't have to communicate with them at all, that is, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, now that I'm in, you know, a Spanish-speaking country, even though I have no idea what Alessandro's El, El Prunte La Isleta means, I can kind of pronounce it. <laughs> you know, I can kind of, you know, write it down and give it to a driver or, you know, enter it into my Uber app versus when I was in Ukraine and everything was in Cyrillic, I, you know, it's it was literally hieroglyphics. Yeah, no, I remember that I would you would probably pronounce it in Spanish. And the Brazilian Portuguese, although in many ways there are a lot of similarities to Spanish, a lot of the stuff is pronounced extremely differently. So they would just have no idea what I was saying. And so, you know, but with Uber, you just type it in and then boom, you're there and you're there. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a world of difference. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I'm I'm just going to pause a second. You've been dropping again. Have you been able to hear me or has it has it also dropped? Yeah, I've been able to hear you. I have been able to hear you okay. pretty consistently. Well, so that's, um, a, that's an improvement, I guess. That's been okay. But So I've just been cutting in and out like as I've been talking, you mean? Yeah, so the first five minutes were perfect, and I was, I was very hopeful. But then for the last two minutes, the first you know, part of your sentence would drop. Do you, do, you have a, do you have a way to record on your side? I may have a way to record on my side. There is a service... Uh, actually, I, I should tell you about this. Um, so I am play- the reason why I have a Heil PR40 microphone, you might ask, why do I have one of those with me, uh, is because I, because I am actually planning to launch a podcast myself. And uh, I have not done it yet. I've just started to do a couple interviews at the very beginning. I haven't launched it, haven't un- even announced it publicly or anything like that. But I, you know, I've started to go in that direction. And as I was researching services for recording podcasts for reasons exactly like this, um, I found a service, and I'll share it with you if you haven't heard of it. It's called Zencaster. Have okay. you heard of this? No, I haven't heard of it yet. Okay, so what it is, you're probably going to want to uh, uh, Google this when we get off. What it is is it's a it's a service. I think you pay like a monthly fee for it or whatever, but it allows two people to talk like we're talking right now, mm-hmm. but it records each person's voice through their microphone into their own computer. Okay, nice. And then it uploads the audio files to the cloud. Oh, nice. So each audio file is perfectly recorded because there's obviously no breakup of you speaking into your own computer, right? The only breakup would be if it's going over the internet or, you know, what you hear from me or what I hear from you, right? So if there's any internet issues, it doesn't affect the recording quality because it records it just as if you were talking into your own computer from each end. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Okay. So, so I, I have found that service. Uh, so it's called Zencaster. I haven't started using it yet, but that's a service I think that would mitigate these types of issues, which is why I was thinking about having that be sort of the, the platform that I use for this type of stuff. So 
if you want, we could potentially try to use that. Although, like I said, I haven't subscribed to it yet and sort of launched it yet, but this could be a good impetus to do so. But maybe what we should do is to reschedule a time, you know, maybe like tomorrow or, or, or you know, the ne- Monday or something like that, and then try to record it on that platform. And then we could test it out and, you know, see how we could both test it out, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we could see how it works. Yeah, uh, I, d- I definitely agree. I, I think it's ironic that while you're expecting this to be, it's, it, it hasn't dropped for a second. And it's been perfect. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man, that's so, crazy. I, I mean, we can keep going if you want, man. Listen, I, I, this is great chatting with you, Johnny. I mean, I, I, I appreciate just getting to know you and, uh, and just, you know, rapping. I mean, even if we weren't recording, I mean, it's a fun conversation to have. So, uh, I, I mean, it's up to you. If you want to keep going, we can just record it. And then you can see what, what comes out of the editing room. And, uh, you know, if you want to have another conversation at some point, I'm, I'm happy always to, you know, jump on and, uh, and, and rap with you some more. But you, you, you can make the call and, and tell me how you want to proceed. Yeah, you know what? Let, let's, let's just keep recording and then if it if it gets bad again then we can reschedule for tomorrow and try to try Zencaster. Okay, cool. Okay, awesome. You know what? Let, let, let's actually just keep all that inside in, in the recording because I think this really shows the other side of running a business online, you know, you know, having a chat with clients through through Skype or record interviews. There are problems even today in two thousand you know, end of two thousand seventeen, almost two thousand eighteen, with even being in a big city like Tokyo and Spain and of even just communication. Yeah, let's try it. Let, let me try that. I'm gonna this is gonna be my inspiration to subscribe to Zencaster and get that rolling. Okay. And then you and I can uh, try it out tomorrow and uh, we'll we'll record on it and uh, you know, see how that goes. Let's do this. <laughs> So because we had all these problems with Skype yesterday and because I don't I think that it's something to do with Skype itself or it could be the internet from Japan going to the Canary Islands. What what, what do you think? Anything is possible, man. At this point, you know, I, the the whole technology uh, thing is a, is a big black hole to me. I have no idea, but super glad to be reconnected with you. Well, the reason why I wanted to leave that part in about you know the, the the problems that we had with Skype is because this really just illustrates the problems or the challenges that we have with creating an online business, running an online online business, location independently, just in the first place. Yep, absolutely. And you have to factor those types of things in. So I think, you know, there's a lot of romanticization of the digital nomad life, and a lot of it with good merit because there's a lot of romantic stuff about it. But uh, there's also additional challenges that you have in trying to do this because we obviously need the internet for our business. And, you know, when we go to new places, that's always a variable. And so, you know, when I, you know, book an Airbnb for a month, you know, in a new city that I've never been to, I am grilling the host, you know, <laughs> interrogating them. I'm like, you know, send me a screenshot of the speed test to prove to me that it's as fast as you say it is, you know, <laughs> because it's really uh, a really a linchpin, I think. And one that one that needs to be factored in, uh, you know, a, as a potential challenge that you need to work around. Yeah, definitely. That's actually a really, really good tip is have them actually send a screenshot of the speed test because they can say, oh, it's it's great, it's fine, but it might be great and fine to upload a Facebook photo, you know, when you feel like, you know, uh, uploading it versus good enough to be able to to voice chat or record an interview or even connect with your team. 
Right. And especially if you're there for a long time, right? Like if you're just going somebody where for a weekend or something like that, it's not as big of a deal. But if you're going for a month plus and you need to work or you need to record podcasts or you need to do things out of your place and you're not going to necessarily have a dedicated co-working space, it's crucially important. And actually, so for, for people who have Airbnb listings, because I know there's a lot of people who are doing Airbnb arbitrage or they have multiple rental units or they're even just renting out their place while they travel. That's actually a great tip is take a screenshot of your internet connection, assuming it's good, and have that as actually one of the photos of your Airbnb. I guarantee it'll make you stand out from everyone else. And lead with it as one of the bullet points when you're listing out the features of your you know unit. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I like that. So how do you like communicate with your team? How, how many people do you have working with you at, at Maverick? And how do you communicate with them? Yeah, so we have probably about 10 people and they are in all different places around the world and they do different stuff for us. So, uh, my business partners are, you know, one aspect of the team, sort of the senior manager, executive leadership uh, portion of the team. Then we have, um, you know, people that run different aspects. We have like our social com- media community manager who's in London. Uh, and then uh, the person that does my data stuff, Google Analytics, um, and, and a lot of our online advertising stuff works out of Prague. And um, I've got a, a virtual assistant in the Philippines, and I have people all over the world, really. And you know, we communicate through a variety of different mechanisms. One of them is WhatsApp, uh, which is great. Uh, you know, you can you can have group chats in WhatsApp, and you can connect very easily to people on that. Free audio, free video calls, that kind of stuff, super easy. Um, and then you know, just email for more substantive, you know, assignments and reporting and stuff. Email uh, is a very easy way to communicate back and forth. And then for shared projects, you know, we'll use uh, a Google Docs a lot, you know, to share documents and and where there requires collaboration. That's a sort of a centerpiece of how we collaborate as well. Okay, very cool. So, I, I think you know, running the the online part of a lot of businesses is going to be you know relatively easy now with all the new technology that we have with instant messaging through WhatsApp or Slack channels or even Skype, which not, neither of us like. Uh, but what about the actual? So, for your business in particular, because you guys are actually selling, like, you guys are selling actual houses, right? Like these are actual pieces of land with a house and a, a real tenant. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So what happens is, so basically the way that we've set up our business model is that we work with real estate investor buyers, individual people, right? Who want to invest at least some of their investment dollars into owning real estate, like deeded freehold real property, not like a real estate backed security or a REIT or something like that, but they actually want to own the hard asset and and have a tenant in there renting it from them for all of the investment advantages that we'll talk about in the other podcast. Um, and so what we do is we build relationships with those clients and we help them to develop a strategy and a plan for getting from where they are now to where they want to be. So what are their investing goals, where they want to be 10 years years from now in terms of passive income from their real estate, in terms of you know their investment goals that they want, how do they get from here to there? And so then what we do is we help, we work with each individual client um, you know, in a consultative, personalized capacity, and then we help them to select and identify the real estate markets that are best for them and the types of properties or buying opportunities that best fit their personal criteria. And so then on the other side of it, on sort of the supply side of the equation, we have relationships relationships 
on the ground in specific real estate markets that we believe are the most investor advantaged places to buy rental property right now in 2017. Okay. And so those companies that we have relationships with, they professionally at scale buy uh, distressed properties. They renovate them with their own construction crews. They lease them out to qualified tenants and, and then either have an in-house property management solution or a preferred third-party property management solution locally. And then these are all off-market private buying opportunities that they'll then offer through Maverick Investor Group to our clients. And so our clients okay. can then um, have access to purchase already performing turnkey rental properties in the most advantaged markets. And so, you know, the clients uh, can live anywhere. So we have clients all over the US and all over the world. And then we, working at Maverick, you know, are focused on the relationships with the buyers. So we're doing phone calls and Skype calls and building the relationships with our, with our clients, very close relationships with them and in touch with them regularly. But the fact that our clients are not in the same city as us means that it doesn't matter what city we're in. You know, all of my staff at Maverick can be location independent because our clients are all over the country and all over the world anyway. So it's not like they can just walk into our office and meet with us in person anyways, you know? So that's how we, that's how we've built it. That definitely makes sense because I would assume that, you know, your clients aren't going to want to live, you know, maybe they don't live in Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, you know, Indianapolis, Kansas City, or Philadelphia. They might live somewhere else in the US or maybe do, do you guys uh, deal with international buyers as well? We sure do. Yeah. Australia, Singapore, okay. we got buyers from all over the place. Okay. So I, I can de definitely see how you connect, you know, it, it's, so it sounds like, you know, the point of your company, Maverick Investor Group is for you guys to not only, you know, go find the deals and find the relationships of, you know, property managers, the actual construction people, the like kind of the local talent, but then to connect them with your customer base in, in which, you know, these buyers from, you know, really all around the world and all around the U.S., you're able to, you know, educate them and kind of just walk them through the process and basically be that connection between them and somebody locally in Atlanta. That's right. And the other advantage is that we're not wedded to, you know, selling or promoting a particular real estate market. So that really makes us very different because if you're, let's say, a real estate agent in one particular market, you're licensed in that market, you live in that market, you have access to properties in that market. So guess what? No matter where the property market cycle happens to be in your local area, if that's the only properties you have to sell, then you're going to consistently be promoting that market. And so if that's all you have to sell, then you're always going to promote that as the best market and try to convince people that they should buy what you have. Whereas what we're able to do is we're able to, you know, independently talk to people and say, you know, based on your buying criteria, you know, this market might not actually be the best for you. This one might be more advantageous for you personally. Or over time, as markets go through their property cycles, we're able to say, you know what, uh, this market, the prices have gone up so much, it doesn't really make sense to buy there anymore. You know, uh, because the rents haven't gone up as much as the prices, and you're really not getting as as advantageous of a cap rate now as you used to. So, it's really more advantageous to move over to this market, you know, which has better price to rent ratios this year, right? So, we're able to sort of do that very independently, as opposed to one company or one agent that's wedded to promoting a particular market. We're able to actually put the investor first and their interests first. 
Okay, that definitely makes sense. I, I can see that because, like, if you, you know, if you have a local business in, let's say, you know, Texas, you're always going to say, oh, it's a great time to buy in Texas because right. it's, it's to your advantage. But with your company, even though I'm sure it's nice to continue relationships with, you know, some of the people you've worked with, especially if you know they're, you know, they do a good job, they have a good property management team and, and all that. If it just no longer makes financial sense for someone to, to invest there, it's very easy for you to get a new, a new relationship or a new supplier in another state. That's right. And we wanted to create that incentive, by the way, right? Because the way that most companies will work is that they will have a product or something to sell. The same with real estate agents. They have something to sell. And then they retrofit their marketing materials to promote whatever it is that they have to sell. So as real estate markets go get better or get worse or go through cycles and stuff, they have to just continue to sell it all the time. What we wanted to be able to do is not to sell or promote any particular product. We wanted to put the real estate investor first and say, you know what? We want to work with you for the next 25 years and help you continue to build and diversify your real estate portfolio for the next 25 plus years. So in order to be able to do that, we want to put you first and help you buy in advantageous real estate markets, which change over time. Okay. I can definitely see that because if if a customer goes through you and buys one house somewhere in, say, you know, in, in whatever market, I'm assuming that if they are making money from it and they're happy, they're getting a positive ROI, they will most likely come back and buy a second or third property. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll, they'll like that market, for example. But, you know, sometimes that market just gets, you know, if it goes up in value too much, when I say too much, it's great if you bought there and you, and you built equity. So that's good. But at a particular point, if the prices go up a lot more than the rents, then to continue to buy at those super high prices, but not get any more rent, doesn't make sense to continue to buy there. So you locked in a price to rent ratio when you bought your early properties and you got that equity and you, you know, you crushed it. But now there's other markets that are at a much lower price point with a better price to rent ratio. So it probably makes sense to start diversifying and buying in those markets and continuing to build your portfolio in those new markets. Okay. That makes sense. So I'm curious, you know, let's say you wanted to start selling houses in Texas because you know, you see that it's going to be a good market in 2019 or whatever. How do you, how, how do you guys actually go out and, you know, make these relationships or vet the property managers? Yeah. So we go to the markets on the ground for every single thing that we, every single project and market and provider that we're involved with. We have met them in person. We've walked their properties. We've seen their operation and all of that. So that is for sure. We definitely do that in the beginning to start a relationship. Um, you know, it really depends. There are a couple variables to this whole model, right? One is that the real estate markets have to be good. But the other thing is that there has to be a solid, experienced, well-capitalized, you know, provider that is able to do this at scale on the ground, right? And so it is certainly possible that, oh, you know, this market really looks good based on my, you know, research, uh, this particular US market looks good, but there may not be a provider on the ground in that market that can do what we need them to do. And therefore, we, we may not be able to go into that market, right? And likewise, there may be good providers in another market, but it's really, in our opinion, not that advantageous for investors. And so we, we may not go into that market either. So, you know, we will, if we like certain markets, we will look hard, we will spend time there. You know, we have, you know, networking arrangements. I mean, there's a lot of the, you know, real estate conferences and networking circles and things like that. So we have a good sense uh, and we're pretty much on the pulse of who's doing what in different areas. But those are, there's a lot of factors that have to come together. Okay. That, that definitely makes sense. And I think something, you know, like real estate, I, I think it's, 
you know, it's good that you guys go and make those relationships in person and then you can just continue the relationship, you know, online. Cause like for me, for example, when I, when I was selling e-commerce, I had a, a supplier of furniture. And even though I was able to do, you know, 99% of the day to day transactions, even though it was, you know, it was over a hundred thousand dollars in products a year by meeting them in person just for lunch, you know, and just establishing that relationship, getting to know them, having them get to know me really stepped it up. Yeah. I think it's super important. Yeah. So when you guys, you know, vent a, a new place, a new property, you guys have someone on your team go there, you guys uh, meet them in person. And then I guess with every business, it doesn't matter what business it is, what market it is, it's, it's important to add some kind of value. And I think this is something that people can learn, even if, you know, they're not going to be, you know, selling turnkey, turnkey real estate online, regardless of what your product is, you have to add some kind of value to both sides. So I'm assuming that, you know, from the customer's standpoint, the people buying these properties, the value they get from you is from, you know, you guys vetting, you know, the places as well as the property managers and, you know, kind of and the construction crews and all that involved in, and bringing that relationship. And then from the other side, from the supplier's point of view, the value you bring to them is you're bringing them customers. Yeah. So in terms of the providers, that's right. So we can go to them and say, listen, you know, we will, we can bring you volume business. You don't have to pay your normal advertising and marketing costs and all that. We save you all that money that you would normally pay towards, you know, your internal sales staff and your, you know, advertising and all these costs because we're just going to bring you uh, volume business in terms of buyers. And then from the buyer side, what we did specifically to address what you're talking about, which is in terms of adding values and in terms of financially incentivizing ourselves to add value. This, I think, is really important. There's a lot of companies that'll basically say, I want you to pay me an upfront fee and then I will do X, Y, and Z for you. Then I'll do a consultation with you or then I'll help you to you know, buy this or I'll do that. What we wanted to do is to financially incentivize ourselves to deliver value. And so the first thing that we're going to do is spend time with an individual buyer, understand their needs, their goals, where they are now, where they want to be and help them to develop that plan and help them identify what are going to be the most advantageous things for them to be buying. And only if we can actually help them to find a property or properties that meet their criteria so perfectly. And then they go through all their due diligence and everything passes and end up closing. Only then does Maverick get paid, right? If I can't deliver value to that person and help them find the perfect property for them, I don't make any money at all, right? And so that puts the onus on me to deliver value. And the other thing that we'll do is when we're negotiating with these sellers, we will negotiate for special prices and terms for our clients that are not available to the general public. Because again, it's that volume business thing, right? So there will usually be special perks or bonuses or things that they will offer to Maverick clients that they wouldn't offer to the general public. And the properties that we're that we're introducing people to these are these are private buying opportunities. So these are not properties that are like listed on the MLS that a real estate agent can find you. These are professional companies that are doing this and then offering them privately to our clients. So these are off market opportunities. So also getting them something they wouldn't normally be able to find. 
Okay, that definitely makes sense. And I definitely wanted to explore more of the investment side when we do the interview on invest like a boss. But I'm curious, just from running a business, you know, the standpoint from let's say, you know, the beginning. So somebody finds Mavericks, you know, somehow online, either through a recommendation, through a forum, through a, you know, a podcast like this. Yep. They contact you guys and all this is done location independently. So they're talking to different team members, you know, really just all around the world. Like, how does that go? Like, can you kind of just walk us through, you know, real quick, like what, like what the steps are for, you know, for you guys to, to basically bring on a client? Sure. So the first thing is um, the, the way people find us, like you said, they'll, they'll hear me on a podcast or something like that. They'll come to our website, you know, and we want to also, by the way, provide a lot of upfront value. So when people go to our website at maverickinvestorgroup.com, they will find a lot of educational material that's just there for free, right? So if people are new to real estate investing and they want to understand, like, how do I analyze real estate deals? How do I know about this? What are the tax advantages? What, are the, what do I need to know about insurance? What do I need to know about this, about that, about whatever? They'll be able to find an enormous amount of free content on our website. And we invite people to just, you know, read that. And we want to deliver that upfront, you know, as a measure of goodwill to build trust, you know, all of those things uh, and just give that out to people. And so then what usually happens is, you know, people will will opt in for for some of that, and they'll, they'll give us their their email information to start a business relationship, uh, and they'll read a lot of our content, check it out, maybe attend a webinar, that kind of thing, and then eventually, you know, we'll have a phone consultation with them when they're ready to do that, and we'll have that personal discussion, right? And we'll talk to them because everybody is different. Right in terms of where they are, in terms of where they want to go, in terms of their buying criteria, what they're comfortable with, what they're, you know, what they want to achieve, and what time frame, you know, all of that, what their investment goals are, and then we will work with them to map out that plan, and then based on how that conversation goes, then take the next step with them, which might be, you know, getting them more information about a specific market, a specific buying opportunity, that kind of stuff. The other thing is, you know, that person might need, you know, on that phone consultation, they might need to pre-qualify with a lender. You know, they, they, they need to see what type of mortgage interest rate and what the closing costs would look like and all that kind of stuff. Make sure they qualify if they're planning to buy with a mortgage instead of for cash. They might need to consult with the CPA about certain things. They might need to consult with an asset protection specialist about how to start an LLC and or how to you know buy a piece of real estate inside their 401k or things like that. So we have relationships with vendors in all of these areas. And we're happy to make those introductions for, for, for free at no cost, just so that people can get fully informed and educated about all these different areas and help them to then make the investment decisions that are right for them personally. So we'll help them to get all of those ducks in a row. Okay. And what's great is all these things can now be done online. It's, it's no longer, you know, you have to walk into your local, you know, tax accountant's office and sit down with them. Now everything can be, de- be done over the phone through voice over IP or just online in general. Exactly. So I'm curious though, if somebody goes to your website and they call that phone number, the 725 number, where does that go right now? So they will get uh, they will get a, an answering service that will encourage them to leave a message with their contact information, and then they will get contacted by Maverick uh, back, and they will be you know if they want to do a phone consultation or something like that, they'll be able to then come onto our uh, uh, calendar and do a you know schedule a phone consult with you know a portfolio strategist at Maverick. 
Okay. And these guys can, you know, I guess, well, I guess the first question is when you say uh, phone answering service, is this, are you using like a live answering service or is this like a pre-recorded? It's not a live answering service. So they, if they call the number that's on the website, they'll get a recording and it'll ask them to leave their personal information so that we can, you know, get back to them. Uh, if they, if they submit, you know, a contact form through, you know, through the website, similar thing, it'll come in and then they will get a response to that. Right. So a lot of times it'll be, them wanting to talk on the phone or, or schedule a consult, and then we'll get them the calendar to schedule that consult. You know, so as kind of a, a bonus tip, so I've tried both I, for my e-commerce stores, which sometimes are, you know, they're not as expensive as a, a property, but they're still, you know, sometimes $3,000 items where people want to talk to someone before they order something. I tried using, you know, because I was in Thailand, so I don't want to answer the phone and I didn't want to hire someone full time yet. I've tried, you know, the recorded messages and, you know, some, you know, some people will leave a message and I'll call them back. But then what worked really well is using a actual answering service where, you know, they, you know, when they call that number, they know they're calling, someone's calling Maverick. So they answer their phone with that script. They can say, hi, thanks for calling Maverick investor, you know, investor group. This is Sarah. How can I help you? And whatever their question is, they can then say, oh, you know, uh, you actually need to talk to Matt. He's not in the office right now, but, you know, can I have your, you know, your phone number so I can have him call you back. And that way, that customer gets that personal relationship with someone picking up the phone and they kind of feel like, you know, they're not just talking to an answer machine. That's great, Johnny. And what kind of results did you see in your business when you switched to the live answer service? It, it, it improved so much. I, I mean, even... Like for e-commerce, a lot of times people just want to know that if I order this item, you know, this is a real company. This isn't just a website. You know, uh, right. this isn't some spam website. There's actual people I can talk to. So even though that person, the receptionist, di- didn't actually have you know answers to a lot of questions besides you know, like a short FAQ we would give them. And you know, to be honest, a lot of times they would like for for e-commerce that was actually enough. You know, on the FAQ, it said shipping times are between, you know, five to seven days. And that was enough. But I think, honestly, most people didn't call to get an answer about a specific question because all the answers are on the website. They called just to hear someone's voice and make sure it's a real company. That makes sense. And did you have that as a 24-7 answering service setup or just within particular business hours? It was just during business hours. So I think it was 9 to 5 California time. California business hours. Got it. Makes sense. And and I, th- I think eventually I, I I did it. I made it, you know, where it's nine to five oh, or sorry, like or nine to eight because it didn't actually cost that much more money. It was it was actually very cheap. I think I spent less than a, less than a hundred dollars a month uh, for the service and they they were fantastic. Awesome. That's a great tip, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious, like at any stage for your, like I would, I, the reason why I wanted to ha- have you on the show for, for this is it really just shows that no matter what you're selling online, what, what kind of business it is, there's a way now in 2017 to do it online. Even something like physical real estate, which we really thought, you know, previously was going to be impossible. Yeah. I think a lot of people are amazed with that because our company, we are a licensed real estate brokerage in the state of Nevada in the US. And, you know, like, like you said, I mean, we make our money off of closed real property transactions. And so a lot of people are amazed with that when I tell them that the majority of our buyers purchase their property sight unseen. They never see it. 
you know, uh, before they close. Now, some people do that and you're, they're welcome, of course, to go into the city and meet with the team on the ground and tour the properties and see the neighborhood. And some people do that, but the majority of our clients don't do that. They buy and close real estate sight unseen. And 95% of our clients have never met Maverick in person, right? It's a Skype call or a video call or something like that, that we build our relationships with them, but they have never met us in person, 95% of the people. And there's, uh, there's no need to do that because you can build relationships and you can build trust and you can build professional, you know, interaction without the in-person, without, without the in-person dynamic. So I, I would have thought that, you know, especially a few years ago when people were more reluctant to buy things online and people just didn't trust, you know, online um, businesses or websites, you know, at all, you know, you know, regardless of what you're buying, you know, regardless if it's a, you know, a piece of electronics that's a hundred dollars or a house that might cost a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I, I bet you five, 10 years ago, people thought that was insane. Like I would never, you know, like why would anyone buy such an expensive thing online? And I think it now it, it's, it's crazy that like literally anything can be bought online now. And if anything, I, I almost I almost trust that more than just walking to a local place because now, you know, I, somebody can just, you know, read reviews of Maverick online or ask somewhere. And not only do you have, you know, the five people in your city that might have had experience, now they can now you're basically dealing with, you know, thousands of people around the planet that they can be like, oh, I use them, they're good, or I use them and, and they're terrible. Right. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. And one other kind of big part of it is I think, you know, five or 10 years ago, it would have been almost a, a downside to say, you know, our, our team is location independent, you know, we're all around the US, around around the world. But now I actually kind of see this as a selling point of Maverick and other you know online businesses like this is people want to be able to i mean the reason why someone's buying a turnkey property in you know these one of these random places is they dream about being able to make money online through a you know passive or semi passive uh, income stream or investment and not have to physically ever go to that property not have to unclog a toilet or not have to deal with anything in person and the fact that you guys are able to run this business while you know in traveling to places like Japan it almost kind of is a selling point saying, hey, you know, if we can run this whole business, <laughs> you can definitely manage your, you know, your your turnkey property from wherever you are. Absolutely. 100%. We are basically congruent in terms of our company culture and the life that we're living and then trying to support our clients in being able to have the freedoms to live the same type of lifestyle or whatever version of it they want to live, right? I mean, not everybody obviously chooses to do what I do. I mean, I've lived in 45 countries in the last four years. You know, some people may choose to do something different, but the point is that they have the freedom and that they have the options. Um, and so that's what real estate really is. It's a vehicle, right? It's not the end game. It's not about the sticks and the bricks of the of the house itself. It's about what the real estate can do for you, what type of lifestyle it can facilitate for you, what types of freedoms and opportunities it can create for you. And so that's absolutely a, a coherent part of our of our company culture and something we try to support our clients in achieving as well. I like that. So I'm just curious from a, a personal point of view, where, where's your favorite place to to either base yourself from or travel from, do, do you often go back to the same place twice or are, are, like, how do you pick the places that you live from and work from? 
Okay. So great question. Uh, I'm trying to think if I should give you a shorter answer or a longer answer. So a lot of times I will just literally pick the top places on my list in the world that I've never been. Like I'm literally in Tokyo now because it was literally the top city on my list where I've never been and I really wanted to go. So I just booked an Airbnb for a month and I'm here. So a number of cities are like that. I went to Barcelona for that reason. I went to Cape Town, South Africa for that reason. I went to Rio de Janeiro for that reason. You know, I kind of picked these really epic global cities that are super high on my list and I go there. Now, there's other reasons as well that I'll go to places. So over the years, right? I mean, I left the US in 2013, you know, at some points during that time, I've been in uh, committed relationships, right? So I had uh, my relationship partner, she was doing a PhD in Egyptian history, right? So she needed to go to Cairo to do an extended stay to do her research at the National Archives in Egypt. And so I was like, cool. I'll go, (laughs) you know? So we just picked up and went to Cairo and we just lived there for a while and she did her research and I worked and, uh, you know, I got to, I got to experience Egypt for an extended period, which was amazing. Right. So, you know, there were things like that that would take me to a particular place. And then over the past year, I did a program called remote year. Are you familiar with remote year? Have you heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of it. What year did you do that? Uh, I just did it. Uh, I just finished, uh, two months ago. Uh, it was a 12 month program. So should I talk a little bit about that for people that aren't familiar? Yeah. I I think it's exciting to see, to hear this because I think I've met a a bunch of people on remote year and a lot of people had freelance jobs, you know, so they, they were, you know, programmers or they had to work like a normal hour schedule or there are a lot of people who, you know, maybe didn't really know what they were doing yet. You know, and was trying to figure, you know, trying to figure out what they wanted to do online. But it's really awesome to, to hear someone who is running a big company. I mean, like, what is your average, your annual revenue from for Maverick? I mean, our, our annual revenue is probably probably around seven figures. I would say gross in terms of gross revenue. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that you got, you're running a, that big of a company while on remote year and. And moving around that much, it's it's you know like it's awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. So so let me. I mean, I'll, I'll share a little bit about it for people that don't know about it, and I'll I'll also talk about why I chose to do it. Um, if you want, uh, and I can, <laughs> um, yeah, and you can ask me any questions about it. Uh, I don't know if you've had anybody on the podcast that's done it before, but so so let me talk about why I chose to do it. So basically, for me, I had been traveling around the world for for a number of years. And in some cases, like I said, I was traveling with a, a relationship partner, and, you know, one other person. And in some cases, I was traveling solo. But basically, for me, I loved all the things about the world travel and the remote work and all of that. The one big, huge void, though, for me that was missing, that was the biggest challenge, the hardest thing, the most difficult, emotional, mental, emotional, just the biggest hurdle for me that was tough about that lifestyle was the social void. And this is particularly the case if you're, you know, itinerant and moving around a good bit, right? Like obviously, you know, there's certain cities that have digital nomad communities. And if you wanted to go there and live for an extended period of time, you could, you know, tap into those social circles. But if you're itinerant and moving around and you're staying at a place, I mean, I would usually stay in places for like a month or two at a time and then go to another continent or something, right? And so if you're doing that, for me, the biggest void was the social community, the lack of, of consistent social community. And so Remote Year is one of now many companies. I mean, there's probably 
uh, seven or eight serious competitors and then uh, a number of others, you know, probably less serious competitors, but that are coming up in the space to compete with remote year. But they're one of the larger players in the space. And I think they got a like a $12 million venture uh, injection last year or so. So they're, they're pretty well capitalized now and, and, and definitely one of the leaders in the space, but they definitely have some serious competitors. But what they do is they offer the opportunity to go for a year with a community of, you know, somewhere between 40 and 70 people uh, for a whole year. And you spend one month in each city and we were on four continents. So we did 12 cities in 12 months across four continents and you pay a flat monthly fee. So the same every month. So it's basically like paying rent, right? And that covers your accommodations. It covers your international airfare to all these destinations and your transportation on the ground to get there. And it covers your access to a co-working space 24-7, you know, Wi-Fi, all that kind of stuff. And they have like on-site technicians and stuff. Like they they basically really make sure that the Wi-Fi is working. So there's a level of security there for, you know, uh, access to that kind of stuff. And then you go for an entire year and the same community, the 40 to 70 people travel together as a community from city to city to continent to continent for the whole year. So you're with a community, one community for 12 months. And for me, that was just a massive value add. I mean, that was just a huge filling of a void for me. And I was super excited about it. And it was pretty amazing. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I'm taking a look at their, their site now. I don't know if the, the prices have changed, but it looks like it's a one-time fee of $5,000 plus 11 payments of $2,000. So basically, you know, I, I guess it looks like the first month is $5,000 and every other month is $2,000 and that includes everything. Right. So, so it's it's $5,000 up front and that includes your last month's rent. So it's kind of like you rent an apartment, right? You pay first month, last month deposit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, so if you were to bail out of the trip early, you would you would lose your last month's rent, right? So it's sort of a security for them. And then uh, there's the you know the the rest of that the three thousand dollars is basically a non refundable deposit. So if you were to amortize that over the court cost of the year, it would basically come out to two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars per month. So that includes your rent. It includes all of your international airfare from place to place, right? From the first destination that you start at to the last that you end at. You obviously have to get you know, to and from the starting point, but covers all your international airfare, all your transport on the ground. And the other thing that they do though, that it also covers is they organize activities on the ground. So in each city, they have local full-time staff people that are from that city, right? And they organize tours and hikes and all this stuff, which is included in your price also. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually met a bunch of them in Chiang Mai when they stopped through there last year. And on episode 142 of the Travel Like Boss podcast, we had Lauren Hom, who's a desi- like a designer, and she was part of Remote Year in the past as well. Yeah. So Matt, I'm, I'm curious, what did you stay the whole 12 years? I mean, the whole 12 of months course, of Remote absolutely. Year? And is this something that you're... It sounds like you, you're happy to, you know, to do it. Is this something that you would do once and be like, okay, that was amazing? Or is this something that you think you would ever do again? So here's what they've done, which is which is really smart and I'm super excited about it, which they didn't have publicly on the table when I started, right? So when I started Remote Year, literally at our in our first city, which was what was that now, like 15 months ago or so, it was Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, 
right? And I was talking to some of the remote year executives and stuff like that, you know, when I got there, you know, some of the people that run the company. And, uh, you know, I'd go out to dinner or drinks with them or something like that. And I'm chatting with them and having sort of, you know, entrepreneur to entrepreneur discussions. And I said to them, I said, listen, guys, this program is amazing. It's fantastic. You know, you filled all of these voids, you're adding all this value, you know, from my perspective. My question for you is, how are you going to generate repeat business from your customers? Not referrals, not like send me other people, but when somebody finishes the 12 months, how are you going to generate repeat business? What's your plan for continuing to you know, monetize your customer base, right? And mm. at the time, they basically said, that's a really good question. We're kind of working on some ideas. We're thinking about that. We've got some stuff in the works and we should have we should have basically a rollout of something before the end of your year. And sure enough, they did. And I'm super excited about it. What they did is they created what's called the citizenship program. And basically, it means that if you finish all 12 months of remote year, you become what's called a citizen in the remote nation. That's their that's their verbiage, right? And what that means is that you can now go and and stay at any of the places where remote year has a group and you can pay like a reduced fee or whatever and you can get the accommodations the workspace access and the you know the the social stuff on the ground you can get that package at a reduced rate and you can stay for how how many months that you know they have groups there so let's say if i wanted to go to chiang mai for example which is one of their locations now as you know um and i wanted to do that i could go for that month and i could pay a reduced rate and i could stay in chiang mai and get all the stuff that the group is getting and interact with the group and sort of integrate into that group and if i wanted to stay there for longer than a month let's say they had three different groups coming through consecutively in chiang mai i could stay there for three months you know and use the workspace and you know meet the different groups and you know have the accommodations and all that kind of stuff but i could do that in any of their locations and they're adding locations they're now in you know, Marrakesh, Morocco and Cape Town, South Africa and Belgrade, Serbia. I mean, they're in a lot of different interesting, they're in Kyoto, Japan, they're in uh, Valencia, Spain. I mean, they're in a lot of interesting spots that were not on my itinerary, right? So I now have the opportunity to use the citizenship, my, my quote unquote, remote year citizenship to go and stay at any of these places for a reduced rate and just integrate right into the communities that are already there. That's awesome because I'm sure you can go, you know, especially a place like Chiang Mai where it's relatively cheap and easy to go to. I'm sure you can just go there and, you know, join a co-working space, find an apartment. But what you had mentioned is the, 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 the network and getting plugged into that group. I can imagine that being by far the what you know what makes it worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm super excited about that, and I'm looking at their um, at their calendar for 2018 right now, actually, and and uh, you know thinking about where I may want to stop in. But I absolutely plan to use that uh, exercise that program. Oh, how much is it for for the for the citizens? So I think it depends on the location. Actually, I think they sort of prices are relative to location. So Chiang Mai would be less expensive. Than than Kyoto, Japan, for example. Um, so I think they actually quote you prices based on your, you know, you inquire about the different areas and then they give you the the customized citizenship prices. Okay, that, that definitely makes sense because I think with remote year, the reason why it's, they're able to, to charge a flat rate, even though some countries or some cities are way more expensive than others, is because it's 
it's broken down, you know, on 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 average for that whole year. But for the citizenship, it, it would make sense that depending on how expensive that specific city is, it'll be more or less exactly. Okay. Yeah. So w- I, I'm curious, what are your travel plans? You think for the next couple months or the for the next year. So I'm actually uh, just thinking about that right now. So I'm going to go back to the U.S. for the holidays, hang out with the fam. Uh, I'm going to do a a business uh, retreat with my team. And I'm going to sort of, you know, start to plan the 2018 uh, travel schedule. So, uh, you know, I have not uh, finalized anything yet. But, uh, you know, I don't like to plan too far in advance. But, uh, you know, gears are starting to turn and, uh, you know, definitely an exciting process. I always love travel planning and thinking about, you know, where where are the top places on my list that I want to go and then making it happen. Well, uh, I know we talked about it a little bit before um, before this interview, but if you can be in Chiang Mai, January 20th, I would like to formally invite you to be one of the speakers this year. Oh, I appreciate that, Johnny. I would love to. That would be uh, that would be fantastic, man. I know you uh, you run a really great conference, and um, you I've heard some of your speakers from the previous years and seen some of the videos and all that. I certainly certainly know about Nomad Summit, so I uh, would love to join you guys there, man, and uh, meet a lot of your listeners and a lot of the people in the community. That'd be great. Awesome. So now you know we, we will be for January. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. So I'll start at Chiang Mai, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so we, you're actually the first speaker I've publicly announced on the podcast. We actually have four of the ones locked in. But I'm kind of saving that until everything's kind of set. But if you guys haven't gotten your tickets for the Nomad Summit yet, please come out. There's pre-sale tickets right now, which are half off. Just go to nomadsummit.com and you can get them there, depending on when you're listening. Um, But this is a great... Chiang Mai is awesome. It's really the mecca for digital nomads. And also, the Nomad Summit is our fourth year now. And it's a great way to meet other people. Uh, Myself, you can meet Matt, as well as everyone else. I'm super excited. You know what's interesting, Johnny? I've never been to Chiang Mai. And here's the interesting thing. I spent last year, I spent uh, about six weeks in Thailand, uh, but I didn't get to Chiang Mai. So I lived in I lived on the island of Copenhagen, uh, right near Koh Samui for about a month, which was incredible, right? And then I did, uh, I saw Phuket and I went to Bangkok, but I literally have not been to Chiang Mai yet. So I'm super excited. I think you're going to like it. I think it's one of those places you might go and just say, oh, why do I move around so much? <laughs> exactly. I love it, man. <laughs> All right. Very cool. So we are going to hop off of this podcast and we're going to hop back on to Invest Like a Boss. It'll be episode 77. And I'm really, really excited to deep dive with you on how to actually buy turnkey real estate and use that as a source of online passive income. I'm excited. Very cool. So the guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Thank you guys for sharing this with your friends, leaving all these great reviews on iTunes and wherever else you listen. And we will see you in the next episode and hopefully on Invest Like a Boss episode 77. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast right now. Subscribe to that as well and talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.